The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. If I may speak in the tongues of men and of angels and may not have love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Even if I may have the gift of prophecy and may know all mysteries and all knowledge, 
and if I may have all faith so as to remove mountains, but may not have love, I am nothing. And if I may give away all my possessions, and if I may give up my body, that I may be burned, but may not have love, I am profited nothing. Love is patient, is kind. Love is not envious. Love is not boastful, nor puffed up with pride, does not behave dishonorably, does not seek the things of itself, is not provoked to wrath, does not record the evil suffered, does not rejoice over unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears up under all things, trusts all things without being taken in, hopes all things against hope, standing its ground with reference to all things. Love never fails. But whether they be prophecies, they will pass away. Or tongues, they will cease. Or knowledge, it will pass away. For we come to know out from parts of knowledge, and we prophesy out from parts. But when the perfect may come, then that which is out from parts will pass away. When I used to be a child, I used to speak as a child. I used to think as a child. I used to reason as a child. But when I've become a man, I've put away the things of the child. For now we see by means of a mirror, by reflection. But then, face to face. Now I know out from parts, but then I will fully know, just as I also will be fully known. But now remains faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. First Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Let's use that as a guide for the study we need to do today in the book of Judges. Love is the answer. It's not wimpy, sentimental. It's strong. It's brave. But it doesn't lord it over others, and it doesn't take revenge. It is the way of the Lord. Love is not about protecting myself. Love is not about staying safe. Love calls me to reach out and make a difference. Love calls me to war and to peace. Love lifts up justice and mercy.
in the day of of Gideon found in the sixth chapter of the book of Judges the Midianites enemies of Israel the Amalekites super enemies of Israel and many other eastern peoples all joined forces they have been invading the land of Israel and they have been decimating their crops they've been stealing their livestock they've been burning their homes today America is being invaded by Midianites thugs people who don't care about personal property people angry and bitter about their life because they've had so much given to them I spoke with a dear brother last night he said if a hundred protesters would be taken to Cuba they probably would not last 30 days they would find out what racial prejudice really is. And they would be in a great deal of trouble. The fact is, America is the freest nation on the face of the earth. It was built as a safe haven by the Lord God of heaven. It was called into existence to spread the gospel of Jesus. America is not a racist nation. Do we have problems between people's relationships? Yes, we do. But it's much worse in many other countries. These Midianites have come into our cities and wantonly destroying other people's automobiles, burning their businesses. Destruction. Now, finally, in America, and I'm not saying this is good or evil, I'm simply saying that finally in America, citizens are beginning to rise up and push back and make the rioters pay a price. Inevitably, you can only rob someone so much. You can only burn their businesses so long. You can only threaten them and intimidate them so long and free citizens will finally rise up and if the police will not do their job the citizens will do the job that's why we have the second amendment these Midianites these Amalekites have free reign to burn our cities soon they will be coming to Washington DC again and this time the mayor will not be so pleasant to them because many businesses will be burned out and destroyed and her tax base will be desperately hurt we'll see how welcoming she is then the mayor of Chicago declared her block a safety zone because she didn't want her home to be ravaged but it was okay with her if other homes were ravaged if other businesses were burned out but she used her power as mayor 
to protect her belongings. Such corruption. And I've been praying, and I've been calling you to pray, that God would give the church a backbone to stand up and say, enough, and begin to enter into serious warfare prayer, crying out to the God of heaven and taking the actions that he instructed us to take. We've also been praying that corruption in the church would be exposed. And since many of us have been praying that, my heart is broken with the exposure of corruption that's beginning to take place, but it's only the tip of the iceberg. So these Midianites and these Amalekites, they all joined forces, and they came as a military campaign to finally destroy Israel. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abarizites, Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, Neptali. He called them and others to come and fight against these thugs, these wicked Midianites and Amalekites. Now Gideon has said to the Lord, Why do we not see miracles as we saw our fathers talked about in the past when Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt? He had not seen any of the miracles of God. <coughs> Pardon me. He'd not seen these miracles. He'd only heard about them. Many of you have not seen the miracle of the Lord. You've only read the scriptures as I'm sharing this story. We've got to walk in such a way that these signs and wonders begin to happen again in our day. That's why we're called to pray. Now, Gideon said to the Lord, this is in the sixth chapter, verse 36, if you will save Israel from my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. That's what happened. Now, he's already seen the angel of the Lord. The Lord has accepted his sacrifice. But then his life was threatened by the village men because he destroyed the altar to prosperity, to Baal, the underground god who controls the lightning and the rain. And the Shira pole, the pole honoring what they called the mother of Yahweh, or the wife of Yahweh. So, early the next day, he squeezed the fleece and he wrung out the dew, a whole bowl full of water. 
Then Gideon said to God, Don't be angry with me, but let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. So now we have the trumpet has been blown. The, the army has been called forth. But now we find that there are four kinds of men who have come in response to the trumpet being blown. I call them four kinds of Christians. The first kind of Christian is the professional Christian. He considers himself a warrior. But he has no obedience to the spirit of the call. He doesn't want to work. They want their good life. This sounds exciting. They've walked in coldness of heart so long, they only have a form of godliness left. They have no power. When they pray, nothing happens. They are in the bondage of sin. They have secret sins that drain away their power. They have secret lust, secret sexual sins. They have bitterness and anger in their hearts. They don't have ears to hear. They don't have eyes to see. They're along for the ride. But when the going gets tough and they see what really face, what they face, when they see the huge army of the opposing nations, they will tremble with fear. And this includes what I call the rootless Christians. They tremble with fear when they see the enemy. They say, I'll be a part of the church, but don't ask me to inconvenience my family or take away from my work or my lifestyle. If it's convenient, I'll help you. They fear loss. They have a self-life that's very strong. They want to be a part of the victory, but not of the risk. Bottom line, their life comes before the life of the church. We have many that way today. They want to be safe. They want to be secure. They're unwilling to risk themselves. They don't want to pay the price. They want the experience of holiness, but then they want to go back to their world of safety and comfort. Don't ask me to lay my life on the line. Don't ask me to be concerned first about other people and only secondarily about myself. Don't ask me, they say, to give when I'm not sure where my income's coming from. 
one brother who just lost his job this past Sunday came to church and he brought his tithe on the last offering, on the last paycheck. And he said, I was tempted to hold this back, but the Lord has always been faithful to me. I'm going to stand in faith and I'm not going to pull back. Wow. I respect a man who is willing to risk it all for Jesus. Who has roots deep into the heart of Jesus Christ. Who does not think first of himself and his family. But thinks first of Jesus Christ. Now, there's another kind of Christian. And I'll show you this in the story in just a moment. I call these Christians the choking Christians. They go to battle, but they want to examine everything. They have a critical heart. They're critical of themselves, and they're critical of everybody else. And when the demands of the journey become too much, they begin to pull back. And they say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, this is not reasonable. I have to keep my life in balance. <laughs> balance is such a horrible word in the life of a Christian. If I am crucified with Christ, I didn't hold on to my balance with the world. I gave myself fully to Jesus. And I said, no matter what it costs, no matter what the demands of the cross are, I lay my life down for you, Jesus. And then there's the real Christian. The Christian who says, I'm in this whether I live or die. And I'm rushing on toward the battle. I will not delay. I will do what God calls me to do. I will follow his instructions. I will not be sidetracked by COVID-19. I will not be sidetracked by the lack of money. I will not be sidetracked by friends I will not be sidetracked. I am following Jesus Christ. I am fully given over to him. These are the real Christians. Now, let's walk through this, and you'll understand out of Gideon's life how this worked out for his followers. For you see, right now there is an intense need for you to pray. To spend several hours a day in the presence of the Almighty. Not in the presence of your computer. Not in the presence of your entertainment. Not in the presence of your hobbies. In the presence of Almighty God. 
crying out to him for the deliverance of our nation and for deliverance for the church from the Midianites, from the demon powers that are rushing upon America, intending to destroy this nation. Can I tell you, it's a great honor and privilege to in the early hours of the morning go in and sit before the Lord and humbly wait upon him for his manna, for his word, to read the scriptures, to lift up in prayer those the Holy Spirit calls you to pray for. It is a great honor and privilege to wait upon Jesus. Oh, he is so awesome. He is so kind. He is so merciful. Jesus fulfilled every part of 1 Corinthians 13. I could say it's literally a description of our Lord. Read in 1 Corinthians 13 the description of love. That is who Jesus is. Shall I read it to you again? Let me open it. I want to read this for you again. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. I'm going to replace the word love with Jesus because God is love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not envious. Jesus is not boastful. Jesus is not puffed up with pride. Jesus does not behave dishonorably. Jesus does not seek the things of itself. Jesus is not provoked to wrath. Jesus does not record the evil suffered does not rejoice over unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears up under all things, all circumstances. Jesus stands his ground with reference to all things. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails, but now remains faith, hope, and Jesus. And the greatest of these is Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That's who our Lord is. I rejoice in Jesus Christ. That's why when I Awaken every morning now, unbidden comes to my lips. Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. 
Let my day be only about Jesus. And I smile. And I begin singing hymns of praise and worship and honor to his name. I love him. Gideon blows the trumpet. He summons the men. They begin coming and they camp at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian is north of them in the valley of Moriah. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. 22,000 men pack up their tents and leave and go home. Now, why are they so afraid? Because Midian has come with an army of 135,000 men. So, Israel has an army of 32,000, and the Lord says, too many men, send them home. If they're afraid, send them home. I would say the same to you. If you're afraid of what's coming and the prayer battle that's necessary, go home. Go about your business. If you're a professional Christian, go play somewhere else. If you're a rootless Christian and you're afraid of taking up the battle, then God will find someone else. After these 22,000 men leave, the Lord speaks to Gideon again. There are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will sift them there for you. If I say this one shall go, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. And then the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths, all the rest got down on their knees to drink. What are we looking at? We're looking at men who get down on their knees and put their face in the water. They want to look at it. They want to inspect the water. They want to make sure the water has no bugs in it. They want to make sure they're safe. They want to make sure they get their fill of water. Their concern is about themselves, not about the campaign that they're about to enter into. Now, there's another group of men. They come and they run through the shallow water and they reach down and scoop up a handful of water and with that they wet their mouth and drink just a small amount. 
and then they move on. They're ready for the battle. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents to pack and go home. But he kept three hundred who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay in a valley. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and his servant went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley as thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Gideon came close to a tent, secretly. And as he listened, a man was telling a friend about a dream that he just had. He said, A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He then returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the three hundred men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in their hands of all of them, and each one had a torch in the pitcher. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I go to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon! Gideon and a hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets. They broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpet. They blew and they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. What a marvelous deliverance the Lord brought. He destroyed more than a hundred thousand Midianite soldiers. We'll share more of the story tomorrow. But I'd like to apply a very simple lesson now, please. 
Gideon has seen the power of God move. He has had a personal encounter with the Lord God of heaven. He was a humble man, saying, I'm the least in my tribe and I'm the least in my family. What can I do? And the Lord said, I'll be with you. Somehow, somehow, from that point of utter humility, from that point of consecration where he brings an, an offering before God, the, the goat and the bread and the broth, and the Lord receives it and fire flames. He's seeing these marvelous miracles. He's seeing the hand of God move in his life. Now I want to say to you, we're in great danger when the hand of God begins to move in our life. I've seen this over and over and over. I've experienced it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of those who are earnest soldiers for Jesus Christ. And it is an extremely grave danger. They will say, I have heard the word of the Lord. And I will obey the word of the Lord. But somehow in the obedience to the word of the Lord, after experiencing the voice of God, after experiencing miracles of deliverance, after experiencing the blowing of the trumpet, yea, may I even say the beginning of revival, the destruction of enemy forces in your personal life, in your marriage, in your church, then something happens. And we must guard against it because as we come to pray, I already see it happening. There were posts on my website. Oh, watch out now. This man who has shared his dreams, he may be a false prophet. And if he doesn't, if those dreams are not fulfilled, then he's a false prophet. And a man wrote, yes, he should be stoned to death. Such arrogance before God. This Assemblies of God pastor who has shared his dream that has shaken this nation. He didn't say he was a prophet. He said, I'm not a prophet. But oh, the, the judgments, the prophets who rose up and said, you didn't follow the proper protocol. These are men who have seen the hand of God move. But quickly, judgment begins to flow. And this is the kind of thing that will begin to destroy any revival. Jealousy. Bitterness. Envy. Judgmentalism. Criticism. Gideon participates in creating this. Let me show you how. And it breaks my heart. 
because I've done the same. I have made it about me and been very destructive at times in the body of Christ. He instructs them to, to cry out for the Lord and for Gideon. Wait a minute. I thought Gideon was the weakest of all of God's people. I thought he was the least important. Perhaps God even chose him because he was so humble. But no, no. Now he comes saying, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. What? I thought it was a sword for the Lord, for the deliverance of God's people. Gideon was not involved. This is not his battle. This is the battle that belongs to the Lord. There's no room for arrogance. There's no room for pride in the service of the Lord Jesus. There's no room to say, hey, look, I'm somebody. No, we've, we're so quick to be critical and so quick to be self-sufficient and self-important, so quick to be defensive. Defensiveness has been one of the issues I've had to deal with throughout my life because in my family of origin, the most important thing was to be right. I was a part of a church that said, we have the truth and everybody else is wrong. And then I discovered that they were also wrong. And I also discovered that I was wrong. that I had mixed up the work of God with my own success and my own accomplishments and I've had to repent in brokenness before God for it's not about me this radio broadcast is not about Pastor Ray I'm nobody I'm the weakest of my family I'm the youngest I'm the smallest in the Christian church. This broadcast is about Jesus and Jesus only. It breaks my heart when we begin to lift ourselves up. As Gideon now is planting the seeds that will result long term in Israel's destruction. That will result long term. In the church's destruction. This is so poignant and so sharp. To my heart. For when I make it about myself, I am assured I will do great damage to the body of Christ and to the church. Oh, but I know about this and I have experienced that and that won't work and that's wrong and I'm right 
and I have to protect myself, and you can't say that about me. You can't? Why? Who am I for you to fight against? Who am I to, to even be criticized by you? You're greater than I am. I look at this. He was afraid to even build a proper altar on the top of the hill. He was afraid to tear down his father's Baal altar and cut down the Asherah pole. So he went with ten of his servants and he did it at night. But now suddenly he's gained power and authority. Now he's the leader of a mighty army of 300. Are you kidding me? He's nobody. He's not a King David. He's not a Joshua. He doesn't lead a mighty army. He sent the army home. And besides, it was only 25,000 men against a hundred and... 25 or 150,000 men army. Look, let's get this in perspective. We Christians are nothing in America, but our God is mighty, and our prayers are effectual if we're walking righteous before a holy God. Part of what happens when this arrogance begins to grow in our heart we begin to say I'll do it my way never mind the church I'll do it my way criticize judge accuse rally support against Gideon is now planting those seeds of destruction in his own life, in the life of his children, but more importantly, in the life of the church, in the life of the people of Israel. He is a mighty hero. I'll take nothing from that. But he was nobody, and he still is nobody. But he now sees himself as the head of the army, and they're going to have great success, not because of the sword for Gideon, but because of the sword for the Lord. It is the Lord's sword that wins the battle. All they do is stand around the camp all at the same time, they throw down their pitchers, making a horrible noise, lifting up a bright torch, blowing the war trumpet, and the God of heaven puts terror in the hearts of the Midianites, and they turn on each other and begin to kill one another in the dark, and they flee, and then the Lord has them chase and pursue after them and drive them completely out of the country. Now Ephraim comes and they say, 
Why didn't you include us? We're somebody. And they're ready to fight with Gideon. And Gideon does not lift up the name of the Lord. He says, I'm nobody. And he becomes a wimp again. It seems that Gideon only knows two modes of operation. Self-humility and self-glory. That's very typical in the church. The Lord wants to win the battle, but the battle can only be won and the revival can only be founded at the word of the Lord, not the word of Pastor Ray, not the word of some other preacher or some prophet. It is the word of the Lord that scatters the Moabites. Five minutes. We need to learn this lesson. And we need to learn it well. Because the Lord is going to move in great power. And there will be no room for self-praise and honor. But we must, as one people, pray, humble our hearts, and repent. Turn from our wicked ways that God would come and heal our land. My brother, my sister, is your heart filled with envy, fear, judgment? Or are you crucified with Christ? Let's pray. Lord, I confess I have far too many times been filled with a desire to be successful and it has in every instance been very destructive to me and to the church Lord I have repented Lord I am the least and you are the Lord and I wait upon you and I ask, Lord, that every person listening to this broadcast today would humble their hearts, that they would not allow the seed of Gideon to be planted in their heart, but they would reject it. And they would have 1 Corinthians 13 love filling their hearts. Thank you, my Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to hear from you. We're coming to the end of the month. If you'd like to be a part of keeping this broadcast on the air, I need to hear from you. You can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Go up to the right-hand corner and click on Donate. 
and there another page will open and it's a very simple process much easier than PayPal so please as the Holy Spirit moves in your heart would you give hilariously and God bless you you can also write to me at the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 I would also ask that you would if you're watching YouTube if you would subscribe and if you would click the like button that gives Google an opportunity to share this video in more places about 30% of those who have come to this video will have come by a Google search so please sign up post it on your social network sites Twitter Facebook wherever you go spread the gospel of Jesus my brother my sister I love you I would love to meet you by God's grace soon I hope to be able to I pray God's peace for you and provision an absence of fear and a great humility I love you I'll talk to you soon